just under one week out from the 2020 U.S. presidential election, the incumbent Donald J. Trump and the Democratic challenger Joe Biden. Now, we'll look at some updates and breaking news in some key battleground states. Uh, and also, we're going to be looking at uh, what's going to happen potentially after this election. That's right. Uh, things might not actually end on November 3rd based on a lot of things that we're seeing breaking now. So let's take a look at one of those key battleground states. Now, earlier in the first episode, we talked about a number of key states. One of those, one of those big battleground states was the state of Minnesota. Now, let's look at some of the key factors that seem to be changing and going in the direction of the Republicans, of the GOP and Donald Trump here. U.S. Senate race is interesting. Jason Lewis, the Republican, is closing the gap on Democrat Tina Smith. And also, just remember, in 2016, Trump only lost by 1.8% in Minnesota, and he spent no money or resources in the state. So the Trump campaign thought that if they just allocate some resources and really go for it uh, in the later stages of this race in Minnesota, they could really flip it red. And this is exactly what's happened 2020. Now we have a big ad buy this week, plus there's 60 Trump staffers, we're told, full-time on the ground in Minnesota. So the Trump campaign putting on a full court press in the land of 10,000 lakes. So here we're going to again give the edge to Trump in this really important uh, swing state here that would normally go blue, normally go for the Democrats, but it looks like it's going red. By all the indications that we're seeing in terms of polling, this definitely looks like is heading uh, in that direction. Now we're going to be talking about something that could potentially drag this election on after November 3rd, and this is called post-election chaos. Now, what could cause potentially post-election chaos? Well, there's a few things. One would be postal delays. This is regarding mail-in ballots. So thousands and thousands of mail-in ballots, many millions of more mail-in ballots, in fact, than we've had in previous elections, supposedly due to COVID. This is why people are uh, being told that the polls aren't safe and so forth. So late mail-in ballots, uh, and also signature checks. Uh, there's arguments and court cases around this as well, we'll explain in a minute. Uh, and there's a number of court cases and injunctions that could potentially trigger something called recounts, recounts, and recounts. Imagine uh, the Al Franken race in 2008 in Minnesota and then multiply that times five or six. Imagine Florida in 2000, multiply that times five, six, seven, and you have the potential for post-election chaos and anything could happen uh, in the interim. Now, if you follow 21st Century Well, you know that we've warned about this uh, since the summertime and we have published a number of articles. Um, we've also had uh, radio segments and we've also talked about this on the UK Column News as well, the, the, the specter of post-election chaos. And here's one of those things that is very real this is a Democrat-led project. This particular project is called the Transition Integrity Project. And this is a plan, really, for post-election chaos. And this is basically what it is. This is very real indeed. This is supposedly a shattery group of government, military, and media elites uh, who have concocted a plan to spread mayhem and disinformation following the November 3rd presidential elections. The strategy takes advantage of presumed delays in determining the winner of the upcoming election due to a deluge in mail-in votes. The interim period is expected to be intensely partisan in terms of warfare and creating the perfect environment for disseminating propaganda and incitement of street violence, for instance. So this is 
something that uh, I, I don't think is trivial. Uh, it's definitely a possibility that we could have a situation where if there's any delays uh, in the counts on any of these key states, uh, riots could ensue, protests could ensue. You could see a Portland situation uh, as well. And then further on, the leaders of the Transition Integrity Project believe that a mass mobilization will help them achieve what Russiagate could not, that is, the removal of Donald Trump via an illicit coup conjured up by behind-the-scenes power brokers and their Democrat allies. This is uh, from Mike Whitney at Global Research. Now, just to be clear, this is a very real scenario. This isn't uh, theoretical. Uh, Silicon Valley, the mainstream media, the Democratic Party, they would all be on the same page uh, in terms of this effort. And just as evidence to this, this was an interview with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg with CBS This Morning. This was weeks ago. And in this interview, it's very telling, uh, Zuckerberg warns about post-election chaos. He says, I don't think all of the ballots are going to be counted by election day and that there's a potential for post-election chaos. And he believes that Facebook will play a role uh, in helping to calm the public or direct people in the right direction or something like this or fact-checking false articles and these sort of things. So let's listen to this, uh, a clip from this interview here. And uh, it's, it's shocking, uh, to say the least. Let's listen to this. Only on CBS This Morning, we spoke with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg about new plans to stop misinformation ahead of Election Day. Zuckerberg says that Facebook is focused on connecting its users with accurate information through a voter information center. You can see it. It's at the top of every Facebook and Instagram page. Take a look. Facebook calls it one-stop shop. It connects users with details about local election guidelines for registration and mail-in ballots. In our exclusive interview with Mark Zuckerberg yesterday, he told us that the tech giant will prohibit new political ads in the week before the election. He also says the company is preparing for potential disputes over election results. One of the things that I'm, that I'm quite worried about after Election Day is that since it may take additional time for the votes to get counted this year, um, especially with mail-in voting, there's a greater chance of civil unrest and violence after the election. You know, some people expect that there to be an answer to who won the election on election night. I don't think we're necessarily going to get that. And I think it's important that we start preparing people now, that there's nothing illegitimate about taking a few extra days or even weeks in order to make sure that all the votes get counted. In fact, it would be illegitimate if we if we didn't make sure that all of the valid votes were counted. So what will you do, say, on election night if one candidate says, I won, when all the votes aren't in? We're putting in place a policy. We have a partnership with Reuters. And if someone tries to prematurely declare victory, whether it's in a presidential election or any of the others, before um, there's a consensus on who won that election, then we're going to add some context and a label to that post saying um, there isn't a, an official result on this election and directing people to the voting information center where we'll have the list of all the official results that have come in. Do you have any concerns about campaign ads on your platform? Are you thinking about readjusting your strategy about that? Yeah, so thanks for, for, for asking about this. So one of the new policies that we're announcing is we're going to block new political and issue ads in the last week of the campaign. And I generally believe that the best antidote to bad speech is more speech. But when there's a vote, then if someone is, is kind of dumping some new information, if it's misinformation in the last days of the election, then there may not be time for that normal kind of debate and process to play out. And 
That's why I think it's important to have extra restrictions in the last week. You and I have had the conversation before about misinformation in political ads. There does seem to be a bit of a contradiction there that you won't uh, challenge incorrect political ads, but you will challenge misinformation from candidates. You know, the thing that I'm very sensitive is having us be the ultimate deciders of what is right and wrong and true and false in the world. There are a number of cases where we can rely on other authorities. Around elections, we partner with local election officials. So if someone is saying, hey, don't go to this polling place because the lines are really long, and the local election official says, no, that's false, it's fine here, um, then we'll take that down. That's voter suppression, and we'll take that down no matter who says it. This week we learned that the FBI uh, tipped off Facebook to Russian interference on your platform. What did they point out to you that you didn't know? Well, over the last few years, we've put a lot of effort into building partnerships with the intelligence community and election commissions around the world, as well as the other tech companies. So part of the normal security apparatus now is that we share intelligence and tips with each other. And between the, the partnerships that we have in place um, with governments and other tech companies, uh, we were able to find and disrupt this relatively early. You're talking about what you're doing on your platform to safeguard this election, but this is also a personal cause for you and your wife, Priscilla. You both announced that you were donating $300 million to do what exactly? You know, there have been these recent debates about you know, funding the U.S. Postal Service, and, and, you know, we just had a lot of conversations about, wow, is there anything that we can do to help contribute to making sure that all the infrastructure is funded in the way that it needs to be, that they had the poll workers they needed, including being able to pay hazard pay to folks who, to be able to come in, but they had PPE for all their poll workers. So we donated um, $300 million to, to two groups um, to be able to partner with a bunch of local counties and, um, and state um, election officials to make sure that they have the resources that they need. Now, what's really amazing is that uh, this wasn't made a big deal uh, in the press. Uh, I'm surprised that the uh, GOP rank and file, that the Trump campaign haven't made a big deal about this because this is kind of, you know, really alluding to that there's some kind of coordinated effort uh, into, in terms of this post-election chaos. You know, what role is media going to play in a situation like this? Certainly social media, uh, with all of the uh, censorship, the deplatforming, uh, labeling things as disinformation that are patently true. We're talking about the Hunter Biden uh, email scandal that was basically, you know, blackballed by Twitter and thrown, with fact-check roadblocks thrown over it by Facebook. So the Democrat Party-oriented Silicon Valley firms are taking a partisan position on information during the election cycle. You know, a clear case of meddling, you could say, this might come out in a, a congressional or a Senate hearing after this election if we get through it uh, in one piece. But uh, clearly, uh, you have a situation where the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC, uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the usual... Uh, cartel of mainstream media outlets, uh, together with Silicon Valley and the Democratic uh, Party, uh, erecting a, a, a kind of great firewall of information uh, and really, uh, you know, pounding the narrative that uh, the, the, the election is illegitimate, that uh, Trump uh, stole the election, uh, that all the votes weren't counted, and that these swing states that are, are very likely to be won 
uh, by Donald Trump on November 3rd, uh, he didn't actually win those and it throws the result into question. Uh, so that, there's a very real possibility that this could come to pass. Certainly we've seen all the signals in advance, which we've shown you already. So we're, you know, it's extremely worrying. So you combine that with all of these various court cases and legal challenges as well. Now, looking at this, uh, there's, there's a number of questions that are going to come up, which is that which of the key battleground states is this going to happen in? And so there are a number of court cases along these very lines that are basically setting up this thing to happen. So let's take a look at the first one of those, uh, Wisconsin. And the news broke this morning, the Supreme Court will not extend uh, the ballot deadline in Wisconsin. And so the late ballot court challenges, this is one of the biggest ones. Obviously, this was just breaking uh, in the last 24 hours. And so what do we have in this situation here? This is Justice Kagan, uh, the Supreme Court justice, left-wing justice, and this is what she said. Uh, as, as the COVID pandemic rages, the court has failed to adequately protect the nation's voters, says Justice Elena Kagan. So the argument here is uh, the Supreme Court has basically decided against an extension uh, that was requested by activists, by Democrat Party activists in Wisconsin, and in, they're basically overruling uh, the, uh, the, the lower courts on this issue. And so you have this dissenting opinion here from Justice Kagan uh, on the left, basically saying that uh, because of COVID, because the pandemic is, quote, raging, uh, then so, for some reason uh, we need to extend voter deadlines and the polls aren't safe uh, and so forth. And that people don't have enough time to vote. So this is really the nub uh, of the issue here. Now that's not the only one. Let's look at some of the other cases here. Here's one. Uh, this is the state of Pennsylvania. Supreme Court earlier uh, has denied uh, the GOP request to stop the extended deadline for mail-in ballots uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a key state that Trump is hoping to turn in terms of a uh, swing state. So the Supreme Court allowed Pennsylvania election officials to count mail-in ballots received only up to three days, however, after Election Day, refusing the Republican request to stop any pandemic-related procedures approved by the state's higher court. So you can see how the, the war has already begun here. This is another key battleground state, Pennsylvania. And so I believe the activists wanted to extend this deadline. So it, November 9th, November 10th, this is what's happening in other states now. Republicans are pushing back, wanting to keep it to three days only. In some cases, none at all. Ballots have to be received by Election Day. So we'll look at another uh, state now. And Michigan is another key battleground state. This was a decision that was made just recently. So the Michigan court blocks a two-week absentee ballot extension. So. Democrat Party activists and uh, political organizing groups, they wanted a two-week extension uh, in Michigan for late ballots. So the, the, what's obvious here is the, the Republicans are, are worried about uh, voter fraud, and they're worried about ballot harvesting and stuffing ballot boxes uh, with signatures that don't match, etc. And so that this could be happening for days, for weeks afterwards. And in the meantime, protests, riots, uh, groups will form and sort of demand that their votes be counted, uh, even if they themselves didn't actually submit them. So this, there is the fear uh, that uh, people had worried about earlier that this could be an organized uh, affair. In other words, the Democratic Party see this as their last backstop to getting rid of Trump or sort of delegitimizing 
uh, the election's results. So here's another one in terms of challenges, another key battleground state, North Carolina. And this is what they're saying here. North Carolina Republicans tried to block mail-in ballot deadline extension proposal. So the fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled 12 to 3 in favor uh, of extending the deadline, uh, noting uh, that ballots must still be postmarked on or before Election Day. The court found that not only was the Board of Elections within its rights to extend the deadline, but also uh, that an extension made sense, given the extraordinary circumstances surrounding this year's election in which COVID-19 concerns and postal delays have threatened in-person voting and ballot counting. So again, we have this issue of COVID-19 is creeping into the U.S. democratic process. So in, in a sense that some people want to sort of issue a kind of uh, national sick note, if you will, uh, saying that, well, it's not safe to go vote in the polls. Uh, and so th the flood of ballots in the post is going to delay everything. So people's votes won't get counted. So there is an argument to be made on both sides of this, and this is going right up to the Supreme Court in other states. Let's take a look at this article a little closer, though, from North Carolina. This is from The Guardian, and this just caught my attention here, which I thought was a little bit interesting. So what is this? The fight to vote. And so this is, this is The Guardian, but it looks like it's paid for content. So we look a little bit closer here. Let's just blow that up. And the fight to vote, North Carolina theguardian.org. This is who has uh, uh, supplied this article. And it's interesting. Let's look a little bit closer uh, about the fight to vote. So this is content supported in part through philanthropic funding to guardian.org from the Schumann Media Center, the Craig Newmark Philanthropies, and the Park Foundation. All the content is editorial independent and overseen by Guardian editors. So this is paid for content from foundations, uh, from big foundations, and basically to uh, cast doubt uh, or to create a crisis in America that there's people need to, quote, fight for their vote. That's what the campaign's called, fight to vote. So this is very strange. Uh, and you could say, is this election meddling coming from outside the United States here? What's going on? So this is something we might look into a bit closer. Uh, in a later program. So here's another state, Then this is South Carolina. Now, South Carolina, the Supreme Court sided with Republicans uh, in this dispute over mail-in ballots. Let's look at what they're arguing about. The Supreme Court agreed with South Carolina Republicans and said mail-in ballots must contain a witness's signature, something federal courts had said should be waived uh, previously uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic. So without the signature, how could one verify uh, whether the ballot was legitimate or not, whether there was not ballot harvesting going on? So these are the sort of things that are happening in the courts right now, and they're fighting them right up uh, until Election Day, until November 3rd. And I, I, I think they're going to be fighting long after that. Beyond this, uh, the request to the high court came after the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit last week left in place an order blocking the requirement because of risks associated with in-person voting during the, quote, pandemic. So once again, it's coronavirus. So this idea that there's a pandemic raging outside, like Justice Kagan uh, alleges, that, uh, that somehow it's no longer safe to vote or it's not safe for Americans to actually go out pull the lever or touch the screen uh, and vote. And because of this, 
uh, it's created this whole legal quagmire that is now going from state to state to state. So there is the potential for what looks like the setting up of a lawfare coup uh, post-election. And don't think that this is not possible. This is very possible. If you consider Russiagate in the last four years, uh, the impeachment hearings and everything, all of these things tied to Russia and Trump and where no evidence was ever presented at the end uh, to validate any of it. You don't think that the political establishment is not capable of doing this. So this is the situation we have now. There's a number of battleground states. We'll talk about Florida in a second. But right now, in terms of late ballot court challenges, uh, we're looking at already, we're looking at North Carolina. That's actively in play. Uh, we're also looking at Pennsylvania, that's in play, and we're looking at Wisconsin, and possibly something is going to accelerate maybe on this issue in Michigan. So I put Florida off to the side because uh, could Florida also be pulled, or a state like Florida, be pulled into this situation to make it even more complicated and more chaotic? But just looking at those four states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, that's 61 electoral votes. Now, even if the Democrats were able to hold up the results in those four states, you know, would that be enough uh, in, a, in a Trump electoral landslide? And it turns out they might be a few uh, electoral votes short, even if they were able to somehow take those states or to say that uh, uh, create a situation through ballot stuffing or through recount after recount or having the Supreme Court rule on it something like this. So it, it, it's, it's difficult to say, but it doesn't look likely. So why is all this important? Well, it's something we called earlier the ACB effect, the Amy Coney Barrett effect. And just in the last 48 hours, she was sworn in uh, as a U.S. Supreme Court justice by Donald J. Trump in an evening ceremony. Now, why is this important? Well, that's another conservative judge on the bench uh, with a conservative majority now uh, on the nine-person Supreme Court. Uh, so her decision, uh, if she weighs in on any of these cases in, in Pennsylvania, it was a 4-4 tie. Uh, and so any tie-breaking votes on this issue of late ballots or changing the rules uh, to accommodate the pandemic or COVID or anything like this, Amy Coney Barrett could uh, supply the deciding vote on that and decide which way the court might go. So the Democrats are absolutely incensed about this. And in fact, they've asked her to recuse herself uh, some leading Democrats to recuse herself from ruling on anything election-related because they're saying that uh, she's got a conflict of interest or they're saying that this is a political appointment by Donald Trump. Well, every Supreme Court justice is a political appointment at the end of the day. But the law is the law. This is what the, uh, this is what the justice are going to decide on at the end of the day. It's going to be based on precedent. It's going to be based on interpreting the law. So no doubt this is going to be a massive point of contention. This is going to be a massive flashpoint politically. So her appointment is potentially explosive uh, if this drags on uh, into the coming weeks after the election. Now, earlier we talked about the enthusiasm gap in the last episode. And if you looked at some of the press conferences, you look at the rallies, uh, you compare what's going on between the Trump campaign and the Biden campaign, you couldn't see a, a bigger gap, a bigger gulf in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of the amount of people showing up. Just the, the visualness of it, the optics of it, is something else. And a lot of people might have seen this recent press conference here uh, where Joe Biden was challenged uh, about 
the email scandal regarding his son Hunter Biden, which appeared in the New York Post. But let's listen to this uh, this press conference here. Okay, uh, Mr. Biden, if I can, sure. Uh, questions of controversy continue today about Hunter Biden, your son's. Uh, there is no controversy about my son. It's all a lie. It's a flat lie because the president has nothing else to run on. If you notice, and while American people are talking about what's happening to their families, he has no plan. In the debate, he has no plan. Everything from the Wall Street Journal, every other major news outlet has said what he's saying is simply not true about my son. But it's, it's classic Trump. Classic Trump. And uh, because he doesn't want to talk about how he's how manufacturing has gone into recession, how our economy's in a hole, how we're approaching a, a, a bleak winter. It's estimated 200,000 more people will die of COVID if we don't act more rapidly in terms of dealing with ra rational basis of social distancing, wearing masks, etc. And what's he do? He's going around the country holding these great spreaders of more virus. I mean, so he has nothing to say. Think about it. What is his plan for the next four years, except more of the same, failure? Now, what's absolutely extraordinary about this is, is the optics of it. Joe Biden, uh, he's wearing a mask. You can't even see his face. I mean, it, it's not a good look uh, in terms of a national audience, some people might argue. And you sort of do this in contrast. We're looking at Donald J. Trump here. This is him at one of his recent rallies, and no mask. Uh, he's kind of unchained, freewheeling, and doing what he wants to do. And some of his supporters you can see in the back are wearing the masks with the logo emblazoned on them. But you, know, you see a lot more sort of team spirit at these, at these rallies. So just looking at these two together, I mean, you have to have them side by side and looking at this and just wondering, you know, what, what does this look like in terms of the American public? Uh, what, what are the optics on this? So really, we've we boiled it down to this. You can contrast. You've got Trump. He's with the people. He seems to be free. He's not fearful. And by contrast, you have Joe Biden, who's alone, who's self-muzzled. He's, he's wearing a mask. It's an elective uh, precaution for him. I don't think a lot of people would, wouldn't think that he'd need it. Uh, especially if the journalist he's talking to is standing, you know, uh, many meters away and themselves wearing a mask. So, I mean, the, the whole thing with COVID is it's created this, this atmosphere and it's, it's also created an incredible contrast between these two candidates uh, in this race. And you, just, you only have to look at this and just imagine half the American people are being asked to vote for one of those candidates and half are being asked to vote for the other. And the message it's sending out uh, couldn't be any more stark. The, the contrast couldn't be any more stark. So uh, we, we have said earlier, you know, we said it many times, COVID has become a wedge issue. Lockdown has become a wedge issue in the 2020 elections. It's, that's going to manifest itself in the polls. That's going to manifest itself uh, in a lot of these battleground states. And right now it looks like COVID and lockdown, the edge, the momentum is going to Trump on that issue, not to Biden. One candidate is selling fear, and the other candidate is selling hope. So to break it down to its meta-emotional level, that's what the optics look like to a lot of people. So that might not bode well uh, for the Democrats uh, coming on November 3rd. So, But this is where we're at right now, and we want to revise our battleground map here. And just taking into account that Wisconsin looks like it's swinging uh, into the direction 
of the Republicans right now as well. We've revised our electoral count here, 319 for Donald Trump and 219 uh, for Joe Biden. So 319, very close to the 320 electoral votes Donald Trump had in his electoral landslide in 2016. So this is based on what we're looking at in terms of polls in each of those individual battleground states. So we do think Wisconsin uh, is going to turn red, and that's a difference from where we were uh, just a few days ago as well. So this is what the electoral map's looking like now, uh, according to our statistics, our data analysis. We're looking at people like Robert Barnes, the People's Pundit. We're looking at their numbers and what they're saying, and a lot of independent pollsters as well, independent analysts. So we think this is likely right now. Now things could change. Obviously, again, if there's an October surprise for Joe Biden coming late this week, that could change those numbers drastically. We don't know. But at the moment, just based on the reading the tea leaves, this is what we see right now. Donald Trump with a sizable electoral advantage over Joe Biden. Now, We'll wait and see how this is going to actually play out. So the election is just a few days away. Uh, this is going to be a very rambunctious weekend in terms of the press and media. We'll come back with another update or report for you in a couple of days. And in the meantime, you want to visit our live blog at 21stCenturyWire.com, Election Edge 2020. There you get all the latest tips, and you'll get some great commentary from people like Basil Valentine, also myself, and uh, some other contributors there at our live blog at 21stCenturyWire.com. Check out Election Edge. So ladies and gentlemen, the big day is coming. The big grudge match is nearly here. Trump versus Biden. So uh, stick around and grab some popcorn. And this is going to get more interesting uh, by the hour in these closing days. So take care, everybody, and we'll see you next time.